developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is Trish Morris. Trish is truly an amazing person as you'll quickly see her power, passion, success, and influencing abilities. Today we're going to talk about improving the life for people with rare diseases through personalized ongoing support by fulfilling needs and providing opportunities. Before we get to that, though, let's learn a little bit about Trisha's impressive and adventurous life. She was born in Juneau, Alaska and grew up in Colorado. Trish has had more than a decade of compassionate caring for people with differences and has always championed better futures for people who are differently abled. She has coordinated hundreds of athletes with unique needs on the Rocky Mountain Special Olympics team and has served on multiple boards and committees with similar visions before actually starting her own nonprofit called the Courageous Faces Foundation. As president, founder, and CEO of Courageous Faces Foundation, it is the only organization of its kind to support people with rare diseases continually throughout their lifetime. Her history beyond before that is that she was actually an investment manager and portfolio manager at Wells Fargo. So she brings a, a strong corporate uh, financial side to now where she devotes her life in the foundation. She's married, has three beautiful rescue dogs from what I hear, and her husband. So welcome to Vision Beyond Sight, Trish. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, it's certainly great. And you and I have had an opportunity to meet each other a little bit at at some of our um, meetings, but I've been intrigued with not only your your past life and transition, but your foundation is one that has really touched my heart. So let's just kind of jump in and talk about, you know, when you retired from your financial career and then you started a nonprofit, you know, what inspired you to do that? You know, I'd always wanted to start a nonprofit. I always had that vision, you know, clear back years and years back in the 80s. And when I retired from my financial career, I decided that that is what I wanted to do. I went to work for another nonprofit, a large one, and really learned some of the background things that that a nonprofit has to deal with. It has been quite an adventure. I, I can only tell you it, it, we learn as we go. We <laughs> continually evolving. And it has been something that 
I noticed when working with Special Olympics, my husband and I both volunteered our time. I called it my sanity relief from the market. So when I was dealing with the stock market and things happening, when the market would close, I would leave and go work on things with kids with special needs. And we did that for over 20 some years. It really gave me balance in life, keeps priorities in check and lets you see humans that are just amazing. Well, that's so beautiful. And, and, and that transition, certainly going from your work to Special Olympics, um, certainly helps you put perspective on what is truly important in life and what, what are the needs of people uh, far beyond you know, the bank accounts and investments. And so that's so interesting. Well, let's talk about the Courageous Faces Foundation and start with, you know, what is the rare diseases? How many of them are there? Well, when I first started the foundation, I noticed that people who have a rare condition don't have a community. They don't have a group that surrounds them that really lifts them up helps them figure out things day to day. It could be a resume, it could be a clothing issue, it could be technology. And so we started the foundation with that in mind. Now there are over, we hear, and these numbers of course are estimates, that there are about 7,000 rare diseases in the world. There are in the US 25 to 30 million people that are considered to have a rare disease. Half of those, or as many as two thirds, are children. 95% of the rare diseases do not have a cure, and many don't have treatments. Wow. Do you want to mention some of the rare diseases? First, a few that people may be familiar with, and then a couple that you know, people have never heard of before. Sure. Treacher Collins. Um, there was a movie based on an individual that had Treacher Collins. That one may be familiar. We have neurofibromatosis. It's called NF for short. That is tumors that grow on the inside and the outside of the body, on the nerves. There is cystic fibrosis. So those are some, um, and then there's many, I mean, you, you just can't even imagine the thousands and thousands of names that come out for a rare condition. And usually they're named after the doctor that discovers them. Mm-hmm. Some are named after the hospital or the actual patient that is, you know, found to have it. So share a little bit with us the, I mean, we all know the impact of certain diseases and it could, can affect function and, and your livelihood, uh, your life. Um, but share some of the social emotional impacts it has as well, besides fighting this illness and, and really fighting for your life. What are the things that made you so interested that, you know, you kn- knew that a community was so important for Well, when you meet an individual, and I'll give you an example, Uh, there's a woman that I met who has something called Friedman-Sheldon syndrome. In layman's terms, they call it whistling face. 
and her lips are pursed. She's short stature. Her hands and feet are, are clubbed or, uh, when she was born. And she had her feet amputated when she was 10 years old because she wanted to dance. Now, she is somebody that is just amazing and fun to be around, but her life is isolated. She'll never be able to drive. She, you know, is at home without anything to do other than she's on the computer, of course, and her phone. And when friends come over and take her somewhere and do things like that. So it can be very isolating. There are a lot of them that have mobility issues where they don't get out at all unless they have like doctor appointments and things like that. So the community for somebody like um, the woman I was mentioning with Whistling Face, she is one of only 500 in the world that have her particular condition. Wow. I mean, that's, that's in my experience, because I work with a lot of special needs people that don't have near the significant of physical and or cognitive um, impairment. And I've just, as we do vision therapy and work with them from a visual perspective, the isolation is devastating. I mean, the illness or the disease or the dysfunction is bad enough, but the isolation and the understanding, and I know many, you know, it's interesting, I'm an eye doctor, but many of my patients have talked about if only people could see me, you know, a play on vision words, but being seen as, as a person. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of them, you know, Facebook and other apps like that have become their outlet to the world. And we know that there obviously are good and bad things um, that can come with that. So for an existence that's strictly based on technology, we had one family that uh, lived in a very small town. Um, poverty was very, very high. And they didn't even have the internet. So this person was not able to even really connect with the outside. And we were able to not only get the internet for their family, but also, you know, a computer, um, a cell phone, you know, just for the medical needs of, of everything. And, you know, it's quite amazing what it can open them up to. And it can be quite scary what it can open them up to as well. Yeah, I can't even imagine the impact that COVID's had on this po population, just seeing, you know, what's happened with families and support systems through COVID, the isolation, the loss of contact and learning. And so I'm, I'm sure uh, you've been more than busy during the COVID period. Is that uh, true? That is so true. And I have an amazing team. My team, there's only four of us. And my team, Dee Nichols, Neil Brown, Barb Ritchie, they set up a program with all of our champions. And that's what we call people with a rare medical disease or condition or syndrome that we support. They set up a weekly call with all of our champions on Zoom and it brought all of them together. So it not only gave them a chance to really get to know each other, but to share things that 
are happening in their life. And if they were maybe feeling depressed or maybe something happened, somebody said something to them out in public or something, you know, they were going to be applying for school and they were nervous, you know, those kind of things. It, it all came out during these calls and continues. We do these calls weekly. They go for over probably about an hour and a half. They share things. They have, you know, creative ideas. And when we first started it, it was run. We did a program called um, the happiness program that was done through Yale University. And we all did that together. And then it blossomed into and grew into this wonderful weekly call where people were showing the art that maybe they had drawn, showing um, different things that they had done during the week, you know, just things where they all connected human to human and could share things good or bad, no judgment, just, you know, put it out on the table and they have a blast and it happens every single week. Boy, isn't that great. Um, how, how does one become a champion and, you know, is there a certain age criteria or just what's that process like? We don't have any age requirement and we do literally, um, it doesn't matter, male, female, race, it, nothing. It, anybody that has a rare condition, and, and I'll be honest, the ones that we have, the majority, except for some of our newer ones, I have met, made a, made a connection with, and you know, found them and, and read something about them. Or one gentleman who is 30 and is going blind, he has a rare eye condition. I actually met him on an airplane. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I always believe when you meet somebody, they cross your path as for a purpose and uh, met this gentleman. It was, you know, immediate connection. And he's one of our champions. We have new champions that we've just brought on, actually, that my team uh, discovered. And we have two little girls here, actually, in Colorado that are sisters. The first sister was born, Emma. Um, and there was something wrong, but they couldn't figure out what. It wasn't until her sister Abby was born that the doctors were uh, able to figure out that they have a rare condition and they have the, they're the only ones with this condition in the entire world that is known right now. Wow. And so, you know, we may find a champion from an article we read. It may be somebody that responded to something on our website or our Facebook, or it may be a connection from another champion. I have gone to a lot of conferences, um, you know, to meet people. I've gone to the William Syndrome Conference. I've gone to uh, the Little People of America, which is uh, dwarfism. I've gone to various conferences and I've met some of the people that became our champions just from going to those conferences. Is there a resistance or just a lack of education as to why, you know, people may not, you know, get your services? Well, it, it's, it's a combination. Part of it is we're probably the best known, uh, best unknown kept secret that there is. Um, when I started the foundation, you know, I wanted all the focus to be on our champions and, um, I should have been the face of the foundation, I, I learned later, but 
that wasn't my priority. And we, you know, have such a small group and such a small amount of funding. You know, we're not out there. We don't have the celebrities that are talking about courageous faces. We don't have, you know, the research and the doctors talking about it. We don't have, you know, the NIH money that goes into research. We're, we're really an unknown and which is too bad. Um, people compare us sometimes to make a wish and yes and no. Um, make a wish, one of my favorite organizations, you know, they do something for people that are, I think, I believe are the age from three to 16, I think is what it is. And theirs are usually somebody with either a terminal illness or they've changed it as the years have gone along, um, but somebody with an illness. And they, you know, do something wonderful, like send them on a trip to Disney World for a week or, you know, let them be a police officer for the day. And those are great. But the problem I see with that, and I've read online from others, is that once that 15 minutes of fame is gone, you know, all the attention and, and the hoopla, then it's back to their, their regular life. And the isolation can be even greater then because they've had a taste of social interaction and then it's gone. So with, with our foundation, you know, they stay with us. This isn't a one, you know, item that we get them and then we move on. We're there for whatever they need. If it's mental health, finding a doctor, setting up an appointment, writing a resume, getting customized clothes made. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one of our gentlemen in Houston who has neurofibromatosis, and that's the tumors that grow on the nerves inside and outside the body. He has an extreme case and has, and you can go to our website and read about, his name is Reggie. He's one of our champions. He has tumors on his face, mostly on the left side. He also has a 50 pound tumor from his knee down on the left side. And you can't really tell that he's even got a foot. I read about him spending 30 minutes a day to sew his pant leg together in the morning because he can't just go to the store and buy regular clothes. He has to have clothes that they cut open the leg, add fabric, and then he sews it together each morning. And then each night he would have to unsew it um, to take the pants off. So we were able to have custom clothes made for him so that he can put his pants on just like the rest of us and start his day. Wow, what an amazing story here, Trish. Um, we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, uh, I love for you to share more stories of what uh, your foundation has done for some of your champions. Um, it's truly inspirational. And we want to make sure our listeners also know how they can support your foundation uh, in, in, in a number of ways. So we'll catch a break and we'll be right back. Discover the power of the seeing brain, the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. 
Welcome back. I am Dr. Lynn and we have Trish Morris with us. And we've been hearing just the wonderful work that the foundation that she's created, Courageous Faces Foundation, the wonderful work they're doing for people of all ages that have rare diseases. And it goes beyond just the medical care, but a lifetime support system. So so tell me, Trish, about how many people do you serve and how long have you been in existence? I started the foundation. I received my 501c3 back in late 2014 and kicked off the foundation in March of 2015. So really, we, we just started really in 15. We serve a group of, I would say, 35 plus um, probably closer to 50. We serve a group of 50 um, or more people. Some of our champions you won't see on our website because they were adopted and because of certain adoption agreements were not allowed to show them. And people ask sometimes, well, as a foundation, you have to show where the dollars for your, you know, the donors are giving, you know, why would you do somebody that you can't show? And the reason is, is because they needed our help and it doesn't matter to us. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't help them just because we can't show them. So, and we've helped people not only in the U.S., but um, some people abroad. And it might be just a, a, a fluke where we run into somebody and right there, somebody with a rare condition and they need something maybe there's a conference and they're staying in a really bad hotel and we end up moving them to the hotel where the conference is and paying for that. So it's, it's, so there's things that come along like that. And then there's things like with Reggie, I was telling you about um, with neurofibromatosis, you know, we did the clothing for him. We had a wardrobe made by a custom tailor out of Boston who I had met at another event and we continue to get clothes made for him with um, this tailor. We also have, you know, fixed Reggie's home that he lived in. He, the roof needed replacing, the windows needed replacing. It was 105 the day I was down there and their air conditioning didn't work. So we continue. Yeah. Terrible. I mean, I was melting. We, you know, we just continue to do things and we stay with them. And as things evolve in the journey of their life, we're there to help them navigate it. And do you have a system of, I love your weekly calls, but do you have a system of, you know, keeping in touch and tracking folks and making sure they don't erroneously or for whatever reason fall out of your system? Absolutely. And it's not just the champions, it's their families as well. Whatever their support system is, is part of who we support. So it might be something, maybe the family needs um, a new TV that they can all watch. So there's, there's things that we can do that, that benefit the entire family. We stay in contact with them. Um, all of my team reaches out to the champions. Barb, who is our communications director, you know, touches base with all of them during the week and then during the weekly calls. Um, and then they'll reach out to us as well. They'll text us or they'll call us. 
And, you know, it could be, you know, getting a call at two o'clock in the morning, you know, on a Wednesday, we take the call and figure out what's going on and what they need. Yeah. Wow. That's really something else. Well, so tell us what are some of the most difficult parts of running the foundation and so when people understand that, then hopefully they'll start understanding why it's important to support foundations like yours, you know, compared to there's, there's so many nonprofits and so many great things people are trying to do. I'm, I'm part of that system as well as president of Sockatuum Foundation, where we collect socks for those experiencing homelessness. And there's so many little foundations that serve a huge purpose. So so I understand how hard it is to get funding and volunteers, but you know, what, what's some of your biggest challenges running a foundation like this? The biggest challenge really is the funding because not only is the funding for the champions that we serve and fulfilling their needs. And these aren't wishes. These aren't, you know, send me to Italy. These are our needs. These are basic common needs that, most people have um, and most people take for granted and getting the funding to have enough people, you know, social media is something we should really be on and taking advantage of. And we don't because the four of us are so busy with what we're doing with our champions that social media is lacking. So, you know, we need volunteers that would do our social media or we need to hire somebody. And that means then we've got funds that need to go towards that. But funding is the biggest thing. For, in order for us to grow, we need funding. And you know, compared to the larger organizations that have millions and millions of dollars, you know, we don't, we're, we're little. We need funding to not only help us continue to operate, for us to grow, to bring on more staff, and then bring on more champions that we can continue to serve. And I understand what you're saying so, so well, because, you know, volunteers like you and your crew are phenomenal, but there's only so many hours in a day. And, um, and getting, and it's funny, it doesn't take full-time volunteers, and it could be even a kid that has great computer skills that could do your social media. And so, so, um, well, I, in our staff, you know, the four of us, this, we're all paid. This uh -huh. is not, you know, volunteers. These are people, but, you know, I always go back to people that work for foundations. I don't see why they shouldn't be paid. It's their job, and they're putting in hours just like anybody else at work would. Correct, correct. And I agree with that, which is great. But a good foundation is usually made up of a, a mix of some of the people are paid employees, and some, um, but usually it takes a giant uh, volunteer community to really help support and reach out uh, and go further than just the people working every day. And you are so right, Lynn. And we would love to have more volunteers. We have some fabulous volunteers that help us. In fact, I have a volunteer coming over this afternoon, you know, to work on paperwork and things like that that need to get done. 
there's only so many hours in the day. And, you know, my team always laughs that they get emails from me at, you know, two, three, four in the morning. <laughs> the most creative time of the day, right? Exactly. And it's, <laughs> you know, what's fun about it is, you know, I'm 24 seven. If somebody needs something, you know, I'll do it. I'll sleep later. I'll figure out, you know, when I can squeeze that in, but we just, whatever people need, you know, we believe we're here to serve and to make their life better. And however we can do that, we will do that. And if we don't know how to do it, we'll figure it out. Which is the creativity part of this whole job, which is great. Well, Trish, let everybody know how they can reach you and the foundation. So when they're ready to make a very generous donation, they'll know exactly what button to push here. All right. They can go to our website, which is www.courageous, faces, F-A-C-E-S, foundation, F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N, and then it's .org, O-R-G. And they're Great. also welcome to reach out to me. Um, they can email me or they can call me. And my cell number is 303-717-6869. Or they can email me at Trish Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S, at CourageousFacesFoundation.org. And that's so great. And, you know, a couple of people had asked um, in my podcast why I was having somebody from a foundation like you be on my podcast, because this fulfills my mission of expanding the vision of millions of people so they can see their life through the lens of confidence, clarity, and courage. And you started out by living your vision. I mean, you changed your career for that and look what you've created. And, um, and that's what it's all about is expanding our vision and helping each other. So is there anything else as we uh, get ready to close here? Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I would just like to share that when you see somebody that looks different to acknowledge them. I know the old school was when you see somebody you're not supposed to stare and you look away. I say, look them in the eyes and say, hello, acknowledge that they're there, acknowledge that you see them. If it's a situation where you can strike up a conversation, then do that. Most people, and, and certainly with the rare conditions, they don't mind sharing with people what rare condition they have. So I think it's, it's a win-win. It educates people. And it also broadens everybody's mind and scope of what happens in this world. And that there are some amazing, wonderful people out there though they may look different, sound different, act different, walk different, roll different, that they're people just like us. And they need the same things we all do. And that's to be accepted, to be respected, um, to be loved, to be liked, to be seen, and to be heard. And that is so beautiful. And I'd like to just add one more comment on that is, speak directly to the person you know so often when there's somebody with some type of disability or they look different 
the first thing you do is talk to the person next to him, the mother, the kid, the whatever, about that person. And that happens again when it's the first thing I teach my intern doctors when they're seeing a patient who's special needs of any age, speak directly to the person, not around the person. Um, I know as, as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to see that happen even from my own experience. I'll go to a doctor's appointment with my daughter and they talk to my daughter. And it's like, hello, I'm the patient here, you know? Exactly. No, and Lynn, you're so right. And that's why we named the foundation Courageous Faces Foundation, because all communication really goes to the face. That's, That's where it all happens, whether a person is blind, whether they are deaf, whether, you know, they have um, some type of a physical difference, everything goes, the, the communication is to the face. And so that's why we called it Courageous Faces Foundation. I love the name and it's very empowering. And I, I go when, so often go one step further, um, is communication through the heart. Yes. Uh, and speaking, I had a situation, I was speaking uh, on vision to a group of um, people that were very uncomfortable with me, just the way I dress and the way I look. And and I wasn't getting any response in my lecture. This is about vision and learning. This is not about any, any uh, what should be a real uh, touchy subject. And it hit me, these are all mothers who all have kids with vision problems and they're in pain when their kids are in pain. And we have that in common in our heart. And when I just spoke from that place in my heart, it totally shifted the whole uh, atmosphere of the group and, and their response. And And boy, was that a lesson for me to learn is we all have the same needs. We're all people. Some have more challenges than others, but speaking from the heart is the way in. I- Totally agree with you, Lynn, so much. And we hope that people will go to our website, read about our champions, learn about what we do, and get involved. Donate. They can email me if they want to volunteer or help us, if they have connections they want to make, um, an outreach regarding any of the champions, or if they know somebody with a rare condition that they feel might benefit from, you know, getting to know the foundation. Give me it, you know, send me an email and let us take a look. Well, Trish, thank you so very much for your inspiration and words of wisdom. And you've totally moved my heart today. And I thank you and encourage everybody to check out the website. The check the website's beautiful. Uh, it honors the champions, beautiful pictures of them and about them. And so, so I just highly encourage you to, to check out uh, the website, and, and I thank all of you for being with us today, and remember, you create your own vision. Your vision does not define you. Thanks, Trish, and thanks to everybody else, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Lynn. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. 
For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.